Hi, I'm Janine, and this is Outside the Box. Standing by to join me is Kirsten Ivy Colson. Did I say that right? It's Kirsten. Kirsten, excuse me, and Lynn Turner. And I'm going to include them as part of my part of my new segment called Better Humans because I thought this fit perfectly. And we're here to talk about the anti-racist table. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us. I'm pretty sure I found you. Maybe it was Facebook or Instagram, but it definitely caught my eye. Uh, tell me, maybe we'll start with you, Kirsten. Kirsten. <laughs> Kirsten. Um, how did this come about? So Lynn and I, um, you know, the racial reckoning actually was happening with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the incident with Amy Cooper really weaponizing whiteness yes. um, against Christian Cooper. And it was just, you know, really a sense of overwhelm in um, what we were always aware of in America, but somehow seeing it at a time when we were all at home uh, with COVID and, uh, you know, kind of in our own worlds being faced to, forced to see this, uh, in a way that you can't really look away. And um, it just, you know, it wasn't really, we just felt really compelled to do something. Um, it felt like, you know, from the time we were young, really the moment we knew we were Black, we've always known that uh, life is different for Black people and that things aren't fair in America for Black people and that, um you know, we're, we're subject to a lot of uh, just harsh conditions, scrutiny, lack of opportunity. Um, the list you know, goes concern, on. The list goes on, concern for your physical safety. And um, so we've, we've always known that, but uh, something about that, that moment just put it in a, in a new perspective where we just felt like it, it, was, it was too much and that what could we do you know, we really just thought, what could we do? And we, um, I think there was also part of, you know, there's a, I think there's fear when you're, when you're, when you're black, when you're a minority person and all of the things that can happen to you and the people that you love and care about. Um, and I think that fear can kind of paralyze you and make you uh, not speak out or not do things because you're worried about what's going to happen. And, and, and it was sort of like, everything has been done. What yeah. else is there for them to do to us? And yeah. so I think that that sort of pushed a moment of wanting to bring healing and, um, and help, you know, bring more people into this work so that we can have radical change. Just wanting people to understand anti-Blackness and, and really, you know, it was so horrifically displayed with physical violence against black people, but understanding that it, it's really woven into every aspect of American culture and society right. and how we live. And so wanting people to, to know that, to learn from it and to decide to take part in making things better. I love it. And Lynn, how did you get involved? Did the two of you already know each other or how did this? Oh work? yeah, we're sisters. Oh, <laughs> yeah, her sister, she's the older. I did not know this. Yeah, and our people are, you know, the Africans that 
were brought forcibly across uh, the, the um, Atlantic Ocean, right, to the, to the U.S., mm -hmm. you know, were also um, descendants of the Moors, which were, you know, Africans in Jamaica and other water people in the Caribbean. Um, we also have ancestry in Europe, right, where they also immigrated here and um, that was a time when um, they realized that color didn't matter and that love was more important and they got married, you know, during a time when um, marriages, interracial marriages were not allowed, right? right. So our, our history is very rich, very diverse, um, you know, and it's all about trying to bring people together. And um, yeah, so my sister, you know, we just had a phone call. We live close by to each other, you know, about half, half 30 minutes away from each other. And um, she called me and she just said, you know, I think I really want to create a reparations petition. Mm -hmm. We really have to do something. Um, do you want to do it with me? And I said, of course. Yeah, I totally want to do this with you. Um, and so we started with just that, just creating this reparations petition. We started researching about reparations. We found out, you know, kind of the torchbearers of, of the reparations movement has, have been women. Um, you know, since the 1800s, they've all been women. And um, so we just felt like, you know, enough is enough. It's time to Good. kind of apologize. The country needs to really apologize for this horrific atrocity that's happened for, you know, centuries mm -hmm. to Black people and um, to see what we can do to make that happen. And then we thought, you know, we need to do more. What else can we do? And we thought, you know, let's put our heads together. I'm an educator. Um, I'm a kindergarten teacher. And... I'm a Waldorf teacher, so um, I practice a lot of inner work mm -hmm. um, and mindfulness in terms of just the way that we um, look at the development of the human being, the threefoldness of the human being, and how um, you really have to look at all those aspects of the person. So when we were creating our challenge, we brought in a lot of those um, kind of you know foundational um, understandings of how people learn best. You know we created um, lots of different um, texts that they need to read and um, videos to watch and creating kind of like this very encompassing um, package of information that's delivered every day for 30 days with mindfulness practices, with education about African-American history. That is um, great. You know, kind of like immersing you into Black culture. It's almost like when you do like French immersion, it's Black immersion. Good. Right, from a Black perspective, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we just sat down and we worked on it for, you know, about a month and a half. And um, we launched our first series of the challenge in July, July 1st. And we shared it with our communities. And within four months, now we're going into four months of it, we have almost 4,000 people who have done the challenge. Whoa. Right? Bravo. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, really have, it's been really this amazing outpouring of um, love. You know, people feel transformed by this work. They feel like it's been a gift, you know, and sure. that's really what we wanted it to be. Both of us had full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. We both are full-time parents. You know, I'm a full-time wife. Um, and we felt like we just had to do something. And so it's really been a labor of love. You know, we do all this work for free. We don't charge for our challenge. We have... Um, we wanted it to be a community because we wanted it to be about building and healing. Great. And, um, you know, so we have conversations around the table on our events page that uh, features different experts um, and we amplify black voices 
in mindfulness practice, in education, abolitionist teachers, uh, lots of different, we have uh, one coming up on racism in healthcare. Um, so just really just trying to get the experts out there so that they can, and other people can just join the conversation and understand why this is so important and why the legacy of, of slavery has really just kind of morphed and transformed into what it is today. Sure. So, did you always have the idea of this 30 day challenge? And, and I wanna know more about how that came about. So we actually we did didn't. We did we, not. Literally, we, we, we literally, we, we, <laughs> we, I think we were called to this work. We, we really have never, I mean, we're both very, not introverts, but we're not like social media people. Like we're not on Instagram. We, you know. But we are now. <laughs> we are now. <laughs> Yeah, we are. I, we don't like seeing ourselves. I don't like seeing myself on camera, right? So we're not those people. And so we had to get out of our own comfort zone because we were like, it's time for us to do right. something. If we do something, maybe somebody else will. Right. Um, you know, because it's always, you know, this kind of domino effect. And that's what we're seeing. That's exactly what's happening. When you ask us, though, about the challenge, we, it really did start with the reparations petition. And then we thought, oh, maybe we could do a challenge. And we kind of came up with some ideas that we shopped around within our family. Like our, we have cousins, extended cousins and things like that to try to get input. And what we conceptualized was very different from what we ended up going with. And really what happened as is that we, um, we, you know, like many people, we read um, how to be an anti-racist. We read right fragility. Um, I have an uh, undergraduate degree in African-American studies. And so um, we kind of, we, we took all of those readings and distilled down what we thought were sort of the key um, principles, the core principles. And so as we started dialoguing about it, we thought, you know, that might be a way to anchor the challenge. And then it quite, quite uh, quickly was evident to us that we needed to really, that education was a key component. And, sure. and really it came from this feeling that, you know, if people really understood, then this, this behavior would stop. If people saw us as human beings, which I know they don't, if they understood, you know, if they had, if they had a true understanding of what slavery was, that it's been, you know, I think, modern day people talk talk about it and think about it like it was some kind of indentured servitude and you know the real atrocities of it and just the animals being treated with more care mm -hmm. really um in a way that like when you read it, it just breaks your heart open that you can't right. imagine human beings having been treated that way and then and then understanding that you can't have a system in place without that anti-blackness, without that narrative, and, and recognizing to now 2020, that narrative has never been corrected. That narrative, no one has ever said in any way that, you know, speaks on a national level uh, in schools. Children don't learn any of this. Right. So how do you think regular people are gonna understand? We're tired of hearing people say to us, why are you still talking about slavery? This is why we're talking about slavery because that's here, why do you think yeah. why do you think George Floyd that happened the way that it did and Amy Cooper can weaponize her whiteness mm -hmm. to threaten jeopardize 
someone's life. That's happening all the time. These things have been happening. And we just now, because we have smartphones, you know, these things are being captured, but that really propelled us with the challenge. And then Lynn and I, you know, really sought out the most interesting, the most concise, the most poignant uh, information. And she really brought, you know, her strengths as an educator to have different mediums because not everybody wants to read. Not everybody wants to listen to an audio. Not everybody wants to watch a video. Um, and we just and brought in art and music to try to really make it engaging. And so we hand-selected every piece of material, the placement of it. And really, if we didn't love it, it didn't go in. Like that's great. each of us would pick something and the other one would say, "Mm, no, that's not the one. I don't like that. Sure. I think we created a mantra too. So there's this like reverential space Mm -hmm. that we kind of create um, so that every day that you go into the lesson, you really have this mindfulness practice that you start the lesson with, with a daily mantra that you say. So almost like a prayer that you're giving out to the universe to the world, um, and then a closing too, where you're thinking about everyone who's doing the work, everyone who needs to do the work, and everyone who's going to benefit from the work. Um, so yeah, building in those kind of daily practices, Beautiful. so that it becomes like your everyday lens that you're li- that you're working and living out of and seeing through. I feel, and I've talked about this when I did my first Better Humans segment, that this has to start with the children, because. As adults, there's, as you were talking about, there's the phone usage and there's apathy and there's bystander behavior. This, this is an awakening for us in a good way to educate people, to stop just looking the other way, to do something. I mean, I have a lot to learn, which yeah. is why I wanted you on the show. You know, um, it's, but don't you agree? It definitely starts with the children and it char- starts with also educating the parents so they understand the mindset shift. Yeah, we think that that really the inner work really starts with the individual and and the parent cannot teach a child about race and racism and discrimination and mm-hmm. oppression and, and all of these inequities unless they have our, their own relationship with that. And that means they have done their inner work and they have reckoned with these hard truths and wrestled with shame, blame, guilt, anger, all that stuff that goes with it. Because, you know, in this country, white people are raised not to talk about race and not to see race. And black people and people of color, we know we're black. We know whether we want to or not. You, our, our children don't have the luxury of being innocent and um, there's an innocence that, that black children lose very early on because we have to keep them safe yeah. and we have to protect them. And part of that means that they have to know what it means and they have to know how to take care of themselves and to keep themselves protected. So I think that parents have to start with themselves and they have to educate themselves. They've got to do their inner work and then they can start sharing and role modeling to their children And that includes just what you were saying, you know, standing up when you're, you're in your neighborhood and all your white neighbors are saying something about somebody black who walked by. Do you sit there and say nothing or do you lead with an example 
And right. do you set the example for your child? So your child knows in this household, those are not the values we have. And we stand up for human beings. We mm-hmm. believe in human beings. I'm not going to call the police because I see somebody walking through the neighborhood and I, and I, mm-hmm. and I think I'm doing my duty to police black people and to figure out where they should be and shouldn't be. That's right. not what it means. I'll give you an example. My friend, Anthony, who I said was on the first segment of this, uh, Better Humans, we were in Connecticut and he told me the story how he, um, he was living, he was in the foster care system and then he was living with his uh, adopted family and in North Stanford and he got locked out of his house. So he's sitting outside the front steps and all of a sudden the police show up and the police confront him and he says, what's the problem? He's, and they said, we, someone called because it was a suspicious character. He says, where? Who, who's that? I live here. Really? Let me see your ID. I live here. I'm a student. So it, and that perpetuated in college, in life. Yeah. I mean, I heard just, this was a few months ago. Um, a friend was saying who lives, uh, I live in DC, Northwest DC. And this friend lives in Northwest DC in a predominantly white part and he's black. And he, he said his son, who is 16, was, was on his way home from the store and cut the fence, um, took a shortcut, cut the fence. And they're sitting down to dinner and the police are at the door. A neighbor had called the police to report, um, you know, a burglary, some kind of suspicious activity at his home. And he was, the police wanted to see the father's ID. He answered the door. He's in the house. Yeah, he lives answered there. the door. Yeah. And he has to show his ID that he lives in the house that he answered the door. And he had just come from running and he left his ID in the car. And he just the stress of worrying about was my was his ID in the car? What was going to happen? Um, and then he shared this incident with another group. And someone white said, you know, not too long ago, I was out gardening in my yard and my alarm went off and um, the police came around and found me in my yard. And I said, yeah, I live here. And they were like, okay, no ID, no nothing, no, you know, and it's, it's right. he's, he's white. He's okay. He's legit. He's, he's white, and there's the presumption yeah. that he's where he's supposed to be. But it's it's try understanding how that is day in and day out. You have people questioning why you're somewhere. Do you belong? Are you qualified? You know, based you know, on your skin. Yes, yeah. and that's what what does that? And then you also have that it could jeopardize your life. You know, you have the daily grind of that, but then you have your, your very physical safety and those that you love could be, you know, jeopardized for no reason other than something that you have no control over. You, you know, I don't know why I was born black. I was, I had, you know what I mean? Like we're born to be who we are and that's black cows and brown cows and everybody else. Nobody questions anyone else that has different colors. It's like, it's the same, right? You're a cow. Cow is a cow. Yeah. A human being is a human being. I, I always share how I took this incredible class at Boston University on qualitative research. And the reason I bring it up is because 
it really taught us not to judge based on just subjective observation. And we were told to sit and observe people, like let's say a coffee house or in an elevator. And you couldn't just come back and say, oh, this guy walked in and he was drunk. You'd have to have specific proof because imagine the guy's not drunk. Maybe he has an autoimmune issue and he has trouble walking or, or, or he has stroke, you know? So it really taught me to observe and gather the facts before formulating a quick response. And I think we have to do that in life and we don't. Yeah. And I think, I think that, go ahead, Lynn. Oh, I was okay. going to say meditation. I think that that's a, a, a real, a natural segue to meditation and bringing meditation to your, to your daily life. And that's why it's, it's woven into our challenge, honestly, in terms of bias, because it gives you that space to step back mm-hmm. and really be curious Right. Before you make to, you know, you jump to these automatic, you know, we've been conditioned. We're, we're, we're constantly working against this programming and conditioning. And to do that, you have to step back. Yeah. I was just going to say exactly that, that you're right. I mean, the ability to think critically has really fallen by the wayside. I mean, people just take news and ideas at face value without actually questioning it you know, digging a little bit deeper into it. And that has to come back. You know, I think we need to really look beyond and, you know, beyond the veil and really just kind of see what's at the heart of things and really, um, you know, dig deeper. I mean, I think we need to do this root work. You know, I think we need to know ourselves. We need to know where we come from. We need to know and honor our own heritages, whether you're white or black, right? Because there's dehumanization that has happened on both sides of that coin, right? So... Um, you know, just making sure that you recognize, and back to your question about, you know, it, it really starts with the children, even the inner child of the adult, you know, a, oh, lot of, yes. a lot of adults who have not actually gone through and wrestled with their own thoughts that they, you know, the seeds that were planted when they were children about race, the stories that they were told about race, you know, the things that they saw, you know, think about the white children who were living through lynchings, right? Who right. went to observe that. There's gotta be something that gets destroyed in a, in a child who sees that, or you know, something that gets disconnected you know, in a child who sees that. And that child grows up to be an adult with adult ideas. So we as adults need to go back and look at our own childhood and our own connection to race, our own identities, um, and also looking at what's been inherited, right? willingly inherited and unwillingly inherited that a lot of this trauma that is living you know in our bodies it's living in the culture it's living you know in the individual it's living in the institution all this we have to get to a point where we're becoming cycle breakers of that cycle that toxic cycle um you know and there's a lot of pushback you know because nobody wants to to do this hard work but yeah. Um, you know, it's for our own better, you know, the evolution of the entire humanity, you know, of all humanity and for the evolution um, of us all. So hopefully we can all do this work. because it's it, really- it makes me think what you're both doing of the importance of role playing for students to see role playing in scenarios. And as you're talking, I was thinking how I grew up in Connecticut and Manhattan. I'd be fearful to open the front door. 
And, and a lot of that, I think I know came from my mom. Like we had two or three deadbolts on the door in Manhattan, you know, there was, and I was thinking, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of the unknown or things I've been taught or, and here I'm living in California. I, I, I realized I was instilling fear in my girls to open the door. Now, Lynn, you said you have children. Yeah. Would you let your kids, I don't know how old they are. Would you let them open the front door to a stranger if you were in the kitchen? Well, we have a peephole, so they know to look there and they okay. also know to, yeah, look. And they, yeah, no matter whether it's a white person or a black person, they know not to open the door, yeah. but they don't open the door for a white person and then not open it for a black. They are universally yeah. taught, don't open the door, right? For right. Strangers. But we do need to get to a place where we are kind of um, embracing the stranger, right? So thinking about how we can connect with people that are outside of our circle, Mm -hmm. um, because we do tend to interact with people who are like us and who are in our inner circle and we don't really give the same kind of care and um, understanding to people who are voiceless in our lives so we need to really you know think about that too as parents you know how are you how are you creating that kind of um experience for your children so that they can value diversity and respect diversity Yes. Um, as an equal, you know, alternative to their own heritage and their own race. Um, and just see that there's nothing better than somebody else because of the color of their skin. And there's nothing worse, you know, because of someone's color of their skin. So I think if we can teach that to your children, then they won't automatically be fearful of a person that looks different than them. Good. But they will be more interested to get to know that person and see what gifts that person has to bring you know, because we all have gifts to bring. We all have something amazing inside of us that is here to, you know, to share. So this is really a total, it's a community problem, right? So we as a community yes. need to fix it um, yeah. and, and do that hard work. But I think, you know, starting at the roots and um, seeing how we can just be cycle breakers, looking at our own lives, looking at, um, you know, in the, in the dark corners and in the, in the closets, you know, in the areas that we really just want to suppress um that are hard but I feel like you know once you get through it you cross that threshold then it's so freeing you know and I think people yes. are really liberated and um yeah hopefully we can get to that place that would be great did you want to add anything else um tell people where they can find out more about the challenge anything else sure, they, you know we we welcome people to come to do our challenge um we came up with the name, the anti-racist table, because it is a table. It's an invitation. Uh, it's a place where we're going to be straight up about the facts. I mean, and it's not a laughing matter. This is serious right. stuff. Um, you know, we're straight up about the facts and we're really trying to help people get educated. Um, but we also provide a safe space and a container to wrestle with difficult emotions and, um, you know, as Lynn mentioned, there's dehumanization. Um, you know, the people who have been uh, oppressed, the whole anti have been the target of anti-blackness have been dehumanized. But to be de to, but to dehumanize someone is a form of disconnection yourself from humanity. Yeah. And so um, we welcome people to take this up because it is a way of rehumanizing across the board, um, giving them tools. Uh, people want to know what can they do. And so this is a way to take it from the theoretical and to actually put it into practice 
reading, you know, is obviously wonderful, but this is, this is an action step. So you can find us at the antiracisttable.com. We're on Instagram and on Twitter at antiracisttable.com. We are, um, we have events coming up, uh, oh, conversations great. around the table that people can read about on our website. I don't know, Lynn. Sign Lynn. up, they're all free. Oh, good. And we're, we're starting, um, well, we're in the middle of creating a family challenge. So the challenge that we have right now is an adult challenge. And we had several families that were so excited that they told us that they had been doing the challenge themselves. And they were so excited that they were doing it alongside their children. And we thought, oh my gosh, we have to create a family challenge because the content in, in this challenge is really for adults. And now Great. Um, it's gonna be launched in the middle of November and it's for kindergarten to third grade. And um, so check it out. Hope you guys can. Good. I know but, some uh, parents with young children, so I can pass that along to them. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. Thank you so much for what you do. And I'm going to check out uh, your website and everything else. Wonderful. Yeah, please do. 